What's Your Story? This is Success Stories with Kendra Hall, where inspirational people come to tell their story so that you can write your own. Here's Kendra. This conversation happened on one of those insanely busy days, the kind where you don't eat until 5.30 at night because you have back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back meetings with no breaks in between, or as this guest would call it, no white space. And I don't know about you, though those days can feel extremely productive, they can also feel kind of wrong. And today's guest will help you fix that problem. Juliet Funt is a productivity expert, the founder and CEO of Juliet Funt Group, and an esteemed keynote speaker. Passionate about eliminating corporate inefficiencies and busy work, Juliet has worked with industry giants like Google, Spotify, Nike, and Pepsi to improve corporate productivity culture and help employees live happier lives inside and outside of the workplace. Her new book, A Minute to Think, gives readers a sneak peek inside Juliet's proven strategies and provides a roadmap to letting go of performative busyness and embracing life's opportunities to slow down. Juliet, welcome to success. We are so excited to hear your stories. I'm excited to be here. Okay, so Juliet, tell me that here's my big question. How does one become a productivity expert? Like, like what is one of your earliest memories of the importance of productivity? <laughs> I've never said this before, but my earliest memory is actually reading a book called Cheaper by the Dozen, which was a kid's book. I don't even remember how old I was. And it was the man who was the father was very, very highly organized and productive. And he had the children read while brushing their teeth. And I remember this image. I don't think it's a positive one now, but that maybe that was the first uh, memory I have of intense productivity focus. But I, I, um, I, I think of myself as somebody who there are productivity experts who were kind of lost before they found their own content and then it was found, sort of the Weight Watchers before and after story where they fixed themselves. And my relationship with with busyness and overwork and productivity is much more of a daily reprieve. I wake up every morning as a person who would be naturally inclined to take on too much, to move too fast. And then I re-meet this content every day and it saves me. It's I think of the movie... Um, oh, what is her name? The um, Adam Sandler and oh, I'm Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore. Uh, yes, forty first dates. Fifty first dates. Yeah, yeah, 50. that's right. Fifty. Yep, it is fifty. So she she forgets every day, and then she wakes up in the morning, and she has to be reminded. And for me, that's that's everything in the content I've spent twenty years cooking was initially to solve my own problem and to remind me every single day to just fight my natural tendencies of doing too much and moving too fast and just doing one thing at a time. And and that's my relationship with productivity. So you're saying that that this isn't something that this is something that you work on every day. I was really hoping as someone who is in is into busyness, like it is my favorite and least favorite 
thing. I was really hoping you were going to say I could be cured, but it sounds like this is this is an ongoing practice. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, it, I don't want to discourage you because the transforma- <laughs> the transformation from being a busy person with no tools to being a busy person with a practice mm. is a an amazing transformation to wake up every morning and know what works and know the words you have to say to yourself and know the way you need to work to make it feel sane and humane and peaceful to get work done. That's a magnificent transformation. But it's like flossing or the gym where you do have to keep going back and noticing, oh, my technology addiction is creeping in again, or oh, I'm touching email too much, or oop, I'm I'm planning 19 projects in a single month for a team that's already maxed. There is a sense of uh, maintenance all the time. Mm-hmm. I can I, I can see that. It's kind of like, just like uh, you can have a wonderful marriage, but you're constantly choosing to love that person and, and, mm-hmm. and practicing a, a wonderful life together. So I know that one of the... One of the things that you talk about in A Minute to Think is this concept of white space or doing nothing, which just sounds, as, as I was looking through it, it just sounds heavenly and also um, insane. Um, yeah. so, like, and, and, and like I couldn't, you know, and, and, and also almost like the opposite of productivity, Doing okay. nothing. They seem like they're in conflict. So so what is white space? What is doing nothing? Why does it matter? Okay, so be careful because we don't want to repeatedly conflate white space and doing nothing because they're not really the same thing. Oh, good. So white space we define as time with no assignment. Mm. These are the moments of the day that are not already scheduled or dedicated to a certain agenda, but it doesn't mean that they're empty. In fact, in a moment of just sitting in white space, if you looked at an MRI scan of your brain, you would see unbelievable activity in the default neural network that's playing with memory and receptivity and creativity, but you wouldn't be moving necessarily during that moment. So the white space time, actually the name came from looking at a paper calendar back in the days of coaching executives where we noticed that the more white space, literally, that was on the day, the more possibility that day could hold to then move into the directions of creativity, strategy, introspection, reflection, that in unscheduled time, magnificent things happen at work. Now, there is a recuperative element to white space, and this is what people think of first. They think of white space as rest, and Mm. it is absolutely one of the four ways that you can use what we call a strategic pause, that cessation of activity, but it's only one of the four. It's it's foundational. Now in our post-Zoomified, uh, you know, pandemic exhausted world, never before has recuperative white space been more important, but it's very important to understand that it's just one facet. So what so what are the other what are the other three? You said there were four strategic pauses, one. What are the other three? Sure. So you can take a pause to recuperate. And I, and I will say that I want to just uh, expand on that one for one second because of the moment in history that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. In every single company in the entire world, people are redesigning work. And we have a spectacular opportunity right now. Almost There's almost a blank page in front of most leaders and companies to say, what do we want work to be? What dreams that we thought were impossible? Is this the moment right now to insert 
part into our strategic design before the jello sets up and then now we're in the new normal and then it becomes status quo and then we're stuck in it for another decade. So that this idea right now of putting recuperation into the way workflows is important. And what leaders are doing is they're giving everybody a wellness day. And this is, if you're, if you were with leaders and companies, you'd see again and again and again, all the ones with heart are planning these wellness days or wellness weeks. It's a, it's a marvelous thing. It's a very good start, but it's not the same thing as recuperation as part of the daily routine. Mm. So these are the workflows that we, it's like giving a starving man a binge once a quarter. It's a good thing (laughs) to get some, get some food in there. But what we want is a daily reprieve. So this, I have enormous passion about the importance of recuperative white space right now in this moment in history. But there Mm -hmm. are three others. So you can use a pause. Let's say you take a little pause and you let a little white space in your day. You can also use it to reflect. And this is very famously used by successful people everywhere. Bill Gates, who used to take two weeks a year just to go think. Um, Jeff Weiner, who's very famous for scheduling nothing on his calendar. Uh, Jack Welsh from GE, the huge, powerful, successful, driven guy who used to spend an hour and a half a day in what he called looking out of the window time. And so the reflection element of stopping what it is that you're doing and looking back at it and saying, how is this going? Where could it be better? What am I contributing? What am I missing? This is a foundational element of what happens in white space. Mm. The third one is um, to reduce, and this is a little complex. We might leave it if you like for later. This is to do what we call the decrapification of work. How do you step back from all the stuff that you're touching and make it smaller? And then, and I can expand on any one of these. And then the last one is to construct. And this is the golden use of white space when we take a pause and we make things with our minds. We stop all the activity and we hatch a new product or a plan or a dream or a vision. And, and that ideation time also occurs in what we were, what, what is called white space. So I just have to flush out the rainbow of possibilities within that tool um, <clears throat> before we start calling it doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That is a very important distinction because doing nothing sounds like nothing, nothing is I, that, right. It sounds like you aren't being productive, but I believe that recuperation, reflection, reduction, and construction are all extremely productive uh, forces. So are there, I believe, did I read, are there, are there rules for white space? Because these little breaks in my day, I often check my phone or I like if there is white space, I'm like, oh, well, great. I have some white space so I can catch up on. And I know that I'm seeing white space in the wrong way, right? So I can catch up on my emails. I can respond to comments on my social media. Like what are some of the, do you have rules for this time? Well, if once you are checking up on social media, you're no longer in white space, in my personal opinion. Now, there are productivity people like certain kinds of rules. There's a whole community. They like timers and charts. And do we we use a checklist? And so then there's those people. And then all the way on the other side of the spectrum are the people who like complete autonomy in their white space practice. And it's very important in the book that I found a way to make it rules-free so everybody can play. But Mm. let me give you the analogy so you know 
know what white space should feel like. Mm -hmm. Um, If you were taking a dog for a walk in the park, you could do that a couple of different ways. You could put them on a leash, and that's kind of a little bit like meditation or mindfulness, where you're 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 in an open moment, but there's a little bit of a leash. There's instruction in meditation or mindfulness. You want to return to your candle or your mantra or your breath. So you're doing something that has a soft sense of direction. Mm. Then there would be mind wandering. You may have heard this term, but that's when the dog is slipping out of the leash without permission. So that mind wandering is non-volitional. That's kind of the key element of it is it happens when you're not planning it. Oops, my mind is gone. Oops, I'm on eBay checking the price of a juicer and I'm supposed to be doing a report. How do I, Mm. oops, that oops sense, right? And then there's white space, which is on purpose, taking the leash off the dog and letting them run through the park. It's the freedom experience of internal white space that makes you know that you're doing it right. So if you find yourself inside social media, you're probably not at liberty in that way. If you're, people ask me all the time, is exercise white space? If you're going for a run in the park, I'd say yes. If you're on a treadmill watching Breaking Bad, I would say no, because your mind is tethered to the show. Your mind would be tethered to social email, a social media or email during those moments. It's that sense of freedom freedom that really is what we're craving that can I just have a minute a minute with nothing that I'm supposed to be doing and then seeing where the mind can go from there yeah I well and I live in I live in New York City and so that analogy is particularly relevant because there are on leash and off leash hours in Central mm-hmm. Park and so I have literally say so I can I can feel that all the way to my core, what my dog looks like when she gets to run around the park mm. at, at full speed. And we have to think about that freedom as a, such a critical necessity. It's everybody's mind right now. All these successful, hardworking people, their minds were, are, have become like that terrible closet in the hallway that mm. has rollerblades and wrapping paper in it. We have to close it with our hip. And it just, that's our mind right now. And When we have this liberty of time, things begin to sort themselves out and we begin to understand ourselves a little bit better. And we notice that maybe we're actually exhausted or maybe we're actually really sad or scared and busyness has been keeping us successfully numb for weeks. Mm -hmm. And, And we haven't even been able to access emotions that are in our way of being efficient and focused. So there's so many ways that it comes to play. I I feel like I had a white space moment just the other day. I was at the airport. Well, we got diverted uh, into Denver. We were flying Las Vegas to New York, got diverted in Denver. And we were doing one of those days where you just sit there indefinitely. And they come on mm. to say, we're going to make our announcement at 5 p.m. And at 4.55, they come on and say, we do not have an announcement to make. We mm. will make an announcement. You know, it was just one of those. And I don't know what it was. Maybe I was just so tired or... Maybe, maybe I had you on my mind, but I kind of sat there with my feet up on the suitcase Mm. and just stared out and watched the people. And, and it was really a beautiful thing. Uh, I don't, I don't often do that. And, and what, what do you think, and you've touched on this a little bit, but, but why do we have such a significant white space deficit that I can only think of one time in in any of the recent weeks where I just sat and did and and let my mind just do like run around in the park what why 
Yeah. And there, I just to say to you that that is the moment where we now come full circle from the first moment where I said it's not really doing nothing to also the beauty of doing nothing, that there yeah. are these moments. This, there's an Italian concept called dolce far niente. It means the sweetness of nothing. It just mm. nothing, nothing is a beautiful thing for us. And the reasons that we fail to access it, the, the phone tends to be the primary um, yeah villain that people accuse, but it really isn't the only thing. Yes, we've never had these kind of digital frenemies before. We've never been as seduced by addictive technology before. Absolutely all true. Yes, it will fill every complete uh, every moment. But there are also other factors. There's the insatiability of our culture, where everything is rewarded for quantity. And the more that we achieve and the more we check off and the more we do and the wider our markets are in companies, the better we feel that we're doing. So that more-ist philosophy where less is such a villain and the gap is almost something you have to, you want to take a moment, you have to hide around the corner like a smoker because Mm -hmm. you're not playing the game that looks like success. So that's that's a really big one. Um, In companies over 5, 10, 15 people, Waste becomes a gigantic obstacle to white space. And this is where a lot of our research is for, I think if you read the second chapter of the book, is really focused on this numerical research where we quantify all of the professional tasks in major companies that keep people off of rest and meaning and reflection. And if you tally all those things that they do, the emails and meetings and decks and reports, it ends up being about $1 million of wasted talent time for every 50 people in an organization annually. And that's a quarter of their professional time. So that's like taking 12 out of every 50 people at work and saying, you guys just, you go eat Doritos and play video games all day long, and that's going to be your professional contribution. So that tolerance of we do nonsense work all day long, we complain about it, but we don't change it. That gobbles up most of the bandwidth that people would have potentially to take a pause mm-hmm. or to stare off and get an insight. And so that that waste is a second piece of it. And then I'd say the last main factor is conformity. Uh, that yep. we, we just look around at all our busy, caffeinated friends and, and all these people that feel so alluring and successful and drive us to whatever our definition is of the next level of our goals. It's very, very hard to be the slow one in the fast lane. It's just tough. Yeah. And, and, to, and to, be, to know that it's the, it's the right thing to be doing. Like this is, this is, this is a good, I am being productive as the slow one in the fast lane. You know, the tortoise and the hare, that, that analogy can only carry so far, right? Before you start to think that you're a, you're just a crazy turtle strolling down the (laughs) (laughs) street. You do. And a lot of it has to do with this primary misunderstanding of the definition between activity and productivity. Mm-hmm. So if I, if you and me sat in a conference room all day long and we decided not to talk and we had legal pads and we maybe made a note or two, but maybe we just sat there and at five o'clock, one of us turned to the other one and went, oh, oh my God, I have such an amazing idea for a project, a philanthropy, a thing that we're going to do together. That would have been an amazingly productive day, but we mm. would not have done anything that looked active. And what is rewarded in this particular environment is checking boxes, sending things, and activity that looks uh, that where the visible motion can be seen by others. Mm-hmm. And so that that's, if you think of it as productive means to have made something of value at the end. 
Productive doesn't mean I sweated my way through lots of motion in the day. And that primary definition also has to be one that we really reconsider. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, performative is such a... It's, it's performative in the office. It's performative on mm-hmm. online. I know even for, for me today, today was one of those days. I know you have one of those days too, where there's just, there's a lot of amazing things that all just happen to be happening on the same mm-hmm. day. And there's a, I feel this uh, stress within me because it's busy enough that I can't post anything on social media. And so then does it even happen because of the people, you know, that, that conformity aspect, not only am I watching other people be quote unquote busy and productive, but I also want them to see that I am too, where, you know, who, why? So, so the, the, I guess this brings me to my, this is the really big question I have for you is Juliet, what, so what can we we do from what I can tell and and what I've seen in the book, which let me say the title again for anyone who's looking, who needs this as much as I did. I, I said at the beginning of the call, this is going to be more like a therapy session for me than anything. Uh, a minute to think, what are some of the, what are the, some of the things we can do to embrace white space? What are you doing as a daily practice to because it, it sounds like an absolute beautiful thing, like definitely a thing I need more of. How? How do we do it? Sure. So the first thing we have to do is redefine our relationship with thinking time. If we don't understand that thinking time has value, we're always going to feel guilty when we're doing it. So we have to read the stories of, I have a lot of them in the book, there are a lot of other places you can read them, of incredibly successful people who take for granted that they will have thoughtful time as part of their day and that they don't feel ashamed about it. And once we've made that transition, then we begin to look for ways to do it. And there are many, many actionable ways in our system, in the book, that I can go through a couple of them real fast. But the primary one is simply to learn to take a strategic pause. Mm. And we say strategic pause because we need that constant reminder that it's not a lazy pause or an idle pause or a nap or a guilty pause. It's a strategic pause. And we learn to take one every day. Now, if you did nothing else to change your life and all you did is make the strategic pause a daily habit like brushing your teeth, you win. Mm. And if you even went further to learn to listen to the cues of that pause, where that pause is needed, it becomes more more, uh, more rigorous in its impact in your day. So for instance, we can take a pause when we decide intellectually we need one. So maybe you're looking at your calendar and you've got six hours of Zoom calls in a row and you mm-hmm. want to take five to 15 minutes in between each one of them. That's an intellectual stimulus for the pause. But there's also the visceral stimulus. It's that moment where you start kind of buzzing with your own adrenaline and you're about to reach for caffeine, sugar, or a digital stimulant. And you realize that actually, I just need to stop for a second. I just need to pause. And so you begin to kind of tune into that cueing of the body. Now, there are many training wheels places that you can try out your pause. If you are still commuting or again commuting, you can try turning off all the music, podcasts, everything in the car. You can dismantle your little passenger seat desk that you use at stoplights to get Mm -hmm. things done. And you just drive. And this can be the most beautiful, open, basic white space. Mm -hmm. You can go on a train if that's your commute. I'm from New York City too. And Mm -hmm. you can be on the train, but you can put all of your technology away and just be 
on the train. You can tie white space to a cue. This is one of my favorite ones. When you have a moment where, for instance, every time the sun hits my face, I will pause. That's one of my personal ones is every time I'm walking in shade and I get to sun, I just use that. Thank you very much, sun, for just reminding me to slow down in those moments. And and so these, these little strategic pauses are the basics. Now, as you move up in your practice and you begin to get a little bit more concrete, you're going to want to meet the tool called the wedge. The wedge is a small moment of white space that is specifically used inserted in between two existing activities to separate them and oxygenate, like you're oxygenating a roaring fire, that space in between them. So this is between when you get up in the morning, when you wake up maybe, and when you stand up, just a Mm. little white space between when you sit at your desk and when you dive in, between getting a really difficult email and firing back your response, or between someone asking you a question and you feeling like you have to know the answer. These little wedges, you imagine, if you imagine a pyramid, like a wedge, inserting and opening, inserting and opening. And this is kind of the next level of bringing the pause into our day. And what about I? I'm very curious as we as we wrap here this this thinking time. Um, can it be longer than a couple minutes? Like, is it okay to <laughs> just take and you can see how how long it's going to take me before I can fully embrace this? Because I'm asking still about the rules of it. But can we take? an hour each day or a full day to, well, I don't think I could do white space all day. You could, you could. How far could we go? I'm afraid that if we get too ambitious, you know, if we say, let's do a a marathon on the first day, sometimes I'm afraid you lose people. For me, the interstitial use of white space is still my chosen tool. Mm. Two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, because I'm a zippy, fast-paced lady like you, and it's hard to do it. Yep. But but yes, of course, that's the executive length white space, the mm. uh, the wonderful 30 or 15 or 60. I can only do it if I'm away from technology and with a physical writing utensil. I need a, a nice legal yep. pad and a yummy pen so that all the ideas that are going to come, I have a place to come out. But it's the most indulgent, creative experience for oneself to say, what are all of the backlogged ideas? and little gems of genius that haven't had any oxygen. And you'll just be writing and writing and writing and writing. And some of it will not be creative. It's like when you stop a blender and all the junk keeps spinning for a while. So a lot of early white space time is just, oh, I forgot to buy the coffee filters. And oh, I was supposed to plan the retreat. And oh, did I pick up, you know, did I arrange my kids pick up? And those things are going to pop in. But the longer we stay in it, the more the mind kind of has its tantrum Mm -hmm. and then can get in the groove and learn to use the time more productively. Wow. I just, this is, I could talk to you for hours. Fortunately, we have your book, Juliet, for anyone who's listening and is like, I need more of this. Where can we find you? Yes, at julietfunt.com. And we've also got some assets there for them, whether or not they decide to buy the book. There's a wonderful test there called the busyness test, and it will show you exactly what are the inputs from your daily habits and routines that are getting in your way, that are causing the busyness, and give Mm. you some examples of how to solve it right away. Oh, I love that. I am going there this afternoon. Um, it will not be considered white space because that, <laughs> because it'll be technology. But I, 
I think you, you said it best, especially right now, especially we have this incredible opportunity to redefine what work looks like and what our days look like and what productivity really is. And I think the more people who consider the power of white space as you've described it, it could be a really beautiful, completely different world on on the other side of, of the rest of this. So thank you so much for taking this time. Thank you. I hope we get to do it again. It was super fun. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to do a follow-up. We can see how, how I did with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds great. Take nice care, to meet Juliet. You. Thank Thanks. you. Bye. This has been Success Stories with Kendra Hall. If you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe, drop us a review, and tell your friends. If you'd like to hear more shows like this one, go to success.com slash podcasts.